All right. So if you've been doing marketing for a while, actually, it doesn't even matter if you've been doing it for a while, for a week or a decade, you know that Google Analytics just becomes like the bane of any marketing team's existence. It's a necessary evil. Something always breaks or it's not right, or you got to find a developer to help you set it up. And I looked it up because I wanted to mention it for this, but Google Analytics launched in November 2005, 16 years ago, and yet it's still the thing that most marketing teams uh, obsess over and get stuck with so much. But there's a better way, and that way is called Aribi. It's an awesome new company, Aribi.io. They got customers like Sony, Pizza Hut, Audi, Panasonic, and Sky. So what they do is really cool. They automatically capture every activity on your website. So imagine someone visits your blog. Oh, nope, didn't have to set up a tag for that. It just automatically captures. Someone visit your pricing page. Somebody did something on your website. You didn't have to go and set that up in advance, which is always the thing that drives me nuts. Ah, oh, we didn't have a goal set up for that. They'll automatically capture everything that's happening on your website and you can do it all without a developer. That is the selling point for me to not have to always beg my friends on the product team to do drug deals and get this stuff over the line. Once you connect your site, you can just start capturing everything your website visitors do. And you can even ask questions like, hey, do people, are people who read our blog, are they more likely to buy than other people? Or people who visit my pricing page, are they more likely to convert? than somebody else. It's awesome and you should totally check it out. And they're hooking you up with a great little discount, 20% off any plan. But most importantly, like to me, marketing is about simplifying the decision-making process. And if you can have someone that works 24-7 like an analyst on your team for you, which is what Aribi does, it's going to give you a huge benefit. So you can go and check it out, aribi.io slash DGMG, and you can start a free trial And if you use the coupon code DGMG, you'll get 20% off any plan. I'm launching a new site, dgmg.co, in a couple weeks, and I'll be using Aribi to track everything that I do. And I think you should go and check it out. So aribi.io slash DGMG, go and check it out, and hopefully you can say goodbye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. This is the place where I share B2B marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Iris Shore. She's founder and CEO of Aribi. All right, so uh, Iris, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you you being here. For people that might not be familiar with you and, and your backstory, just give everybody an overview of your role, the company, and just kind of your, your brief history. Okay. Hi, Dave. Um, so today I'm the CEO for Ribi. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my third company. Um, we raised uh, $27 million to date uh, for Ribi. Um, I studied architecture. I decided that I don't want to be an architect. Started uh, my first company around engineering and architecture. Uh, the company was acquired by Autodesk. Uh, my second company was... Uh, for developers and DevOps, uh, and about four or five years ago, I started Aribi. Um, on my previous mar- um, companies, I led the marketing and product, and 
being uh, a frustrated marketer and having trouble with the Google Analytics and other marketing analytics tool led me to start Ribby. We'll probably speak more about it. And yeah, that's me. Okay. I mentioned this to you before, but what's unique is that you're a CEO. And so I want to spend a lot of time talking about that. But I do think we should talk about the Aribi story because I'm just curious to like what it was for you that like marketing analytics is something that I see the most questions about marketing analytics attribution, whether that's Google Analytics or Visible or Marketo, HubSpot. So talk about your how you went from a marketer to I got to go start a company in this space. And, and like, what, what's the big thing that you're trying to solve? So the companies that I personally find most inspiring are companies that manage to take an existing product or enter an existing space, sometimes even a crowded space, and to make something that people don't like just work. So even Zoom, for example, they didn't reinvent totally. the, the wheel, but it's working and uh, I saw a huge opportunity around marketing analytics. So today, most companies use Google Analytics, uh, small companies, large companies. Um, there isn't a good alternative. Um, if you go, so it's either like Google Analytics or the high-end tools, uh, which require lots of integrations and dev resources and high budget. And I always found it amazing how difficult it is to answer the very basic question that uh, all other companies ask as, as well. So when I try to understand what's unique about my paying customer, what is the impact of every channel, and what is the correlation between different marketing activities. And I remember telling myself that I'm sure that uh, every other startup um, are challenged with exactly the same questions, and we need to create uh, custom reports and data and use Mixpanel and lots of other tools just to answer the very basic questions. Right. And what we do very differently to Ribby is um, overcoming the challenge of collecting data. So today, all the different tools uh, are based on the same paradigm that you need a developer to add uh, new data points. So every time you, you need to tag a new event, it can be registered and uh, watching a webinar and requesting a demo and, and so on. You need a developer to help you with it. And then you need to wait to track all the data. And in most cases, even with advanced companies that do have in-house uh, dev team, they need to wait for a few weeks and they don't have enough data. And what we do differently to Ribby is create uh, a layer of codeless data so you can easily tag every event in a very smart way. So it's not about tagging buttons. It's actually understanding that this is a, a demo request and every time the website changes, we will still track it. And to also collect all the data retroactively. So if you want to understand what is the impact of something that you added a few months ago, you can easily question it. Um, and once you have all the data there in place, you can easily correlate everything and get answers. Yeah. One of the things that's changed is my perspective has grown from like individual contributor to CMO, for example, is I used to get frustrated that the perception was that we got to measure everything that we're doing. And I realized that the frustration was because it is so hard to get all that data. And a lot of companies, a lot of startups that I see, like they have the data, but what happens is like not everybody believes in it. And so the marketing team like has one set of data, the sales team has another. But now, like as a CMO, the most important thing in marketing is 
understanding the data because marketing is not that hard if you know where to go place your bets. And it's really just portfolio management. So now you, you do want to track everything. Also, I also like what you said about um, just from an entrepreneurial standpoint, like taking something that people don't like and making it work versus trying to yeah. run towards the easy problem. From a marketing perspective, you're obviously, you have a, you know, an engineering background, you have, you've built a company on analytics. What's your take on what should be measured in marketing? Like, do we have to measure everything? What should be, what, what should be measured? I would say that the most important part is um, connecting marketing activities to convergence. So I think what happens today is that in many cases you have uh, a blog and then you measure how many people um, read each post and how many new visitors uh, subscribe to the email list. Uh, and you might be very happy with the results, but then a few months or years later, you find out that uh, hardly nobody converts or the posts that uh, most people read are not the posts that, you, that convert. Or if you're active on social media, and most people measure how many likes they have, how many new, new fans they have to the page, and uh, they should connect everything to convergence. So I would say that even though I'm very data-driven and uh, we have an analytics uh, company, it's, it isn't possible to measure everything. Right. Um, but I would say that um, it's very important to build a system in which you can connect all the main efforts to convergence. This comes up the most, I would say, with... B2B companies and and like things like social media and content where it's not really a direct response channel. I'm not writing a blog post to get you to buy or to convert. I'm not tweeting to get you to buy. But sometimes marketers that listen to this podcast, for example, they're asked to like justify the ROI on on those things. How do, how do you think about that? So I think probably like 80% of the marketing efforts should be measurable. Um, it's hard to measure everything. Uh, I would share with you that something that we added recently to our onboarding. Um, we actually added another step only for paying customers uh, in which we asked them more about how they heard of Oribe and have they heard about the brand on podcast articles and so on just to expand our attribution and uh, understand more about them. Uh, about how they interacted with the brand. I like when you pair that approach with what you learn from your data, because I think a lot of times you you learn that you might learn that the perception is different. Like you think somebody the sources might be a Facebook ad, but they say that they heard you on the podcast. It just it gives you the interesting, more qualitative piece of it to pair up with that. Mm-hmm. Aribi as a business, where the function is revenue, you've raised $27 million. Like I'm, you know, that, that means there's got to be some exit or some outcome at, at some point down the road. How do you think about the role that marketing plays in, in your company? It has a huge role. Um, I was sure that when I started, uh, when I decided to start a new company, I think like one of the main questions uh, was like, what do I want to build? But another question was, uh, what type of company do I want to build? And uh, I know that my strong, uh, parts or product and marketing. And I decided to build a low-touch company. And I really believe that uh, with a low-touch company, it's, uh, you have to have a good product and you need to provide value. Yeah. And that's something that I strongly believe in. And um, 
the most important thing for me. And I would say that like we're VC backed, we need to show revenue, we need to grow. But I'm really, for me, it's like the core value is really providing value to users and creating something real. And I think that that's something that with uh, low-touch companies, you you must provide. You can't uh, cheat in any way. I got a bunch of follow-ups to a couple things that you mentioned there. I want to ask you about the marketing team and how you think about the roles. But let's just talk about, you mentioned low-touch company. I think a lot of other people, I think that's similar to you know product-led growth, right? Where you have... The goal is get people to your website. I, you have this free trial model, right? Why do you think that's the right model for your business? Or like, you know, what do you think it says about the future of B2B? Because what you're doing is typically something that before they'd be like, nope, we got to talk to a salesperson. We're going to take you through this whole cycle. Why did you choose this funnel from a business standpoint? I think that we're very lucky as uh, marketers uh, these days and that it's super easy to test everything. Um, so unlike five or ten years ago, where all the processes were slower than today, building the funnel for us was mainly about testing it. So we tested the uh, seven days trial and fourteen days trial and thirty days trial and saw the conversion. And I'll also share that when I started Ruby, I was sure that we were not going to have sales. And then we tested it out. We saw that the conversion rate is higher. Um, if uh, most users see a product tour, so we added it to the funnel. So I would say it's less about uh, what I believe in, and it's more about all the different yeah. uh, combinations of tests that we that we had and what's been, what works well. This is interesting. Let's talk about the the trial funnel and sales, because I think a lot of companies have this, and I'd be interested to hear the breakdown because also like I'm on your website I'm looking I wanted to go look up the pricing because what's interesting is a lot of companies will have the high volume low touch free trial but then the product starts at $20 a month or something you know you're selling a product that's 5 6 7 800 a month through this model which is interesting so if you could talk about that but more importantly when did you bring on sales and what role do they play in, in the funnel we started a sales team about a year and a half ago, and today about 80% of the, of the customers um, um, took part of the product tour before um, converting to a paying customer. Before you brought on sales, like you already had a business, right? You were like... Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. We just tested, like we A-B tested uh, the funnel, and we saw that the conversion rate with the product tour um, is much higher. Um, it is like one touch. It's very rare that we have over one call with uh, with customer. It's more right. about explaining to them how Ruby can help them with their use case. Um, so, so was the test like calling trialers and trying to get them on the phone and book a meeting with them and the, testing the conversion rate of those people who talk to sales? No, it was more of like in-app. So the ability to, to book a demo and, and uh, how much do you want to push it? Uh, even today, most of the demos are scheduled uh, via the trial itself and the app, and we, we have some pop-ups and so on. Um, we've started uh, testing SDR these days, so I'm not sure about the results, but today most users uh, ask for a trial. It's also like a chicken and egg because we're never sure if the users that are more interested in to Ruby and understand the value are also more likely to ask for a demo. Right. Or you just might have somebody who they're just super self-service and they don't want to talk to anybody and they're just going to go through the funnel and, and buy. Yeah. Um, so does the, is the sales team doing any 
hey, Dave, you signed up for a trial, book a meeting, or it's only if I raise my hand as a trialer to book a demo? Today, it's only if you raise your hand. Um, we're probably going to test out new things there soon. But right now, yeah, it's, uh, it's something that uh, the user should ask for. How do you balance how the team thinks about the funnel in that sense? Like, do you have people that you want to go and talk to sales? Like, are you trying to push people to that? Or is it like you can come in and choose what you want and we're just going to measure how it works? We tried out different things. What works best for us is to actually go on the opposite direction and to opt out users that signed up to a demo and they're not qualified leads. Because there are so many different parameters and for us to really understand the to which user to show them and do you want to request a demo dialogue. So what we're doing today is that the account managers can decide to cancel a demo. And we do it in a very nice way. We, we explain to them that we think that to really is probably not a great fit for them. We ask them a few questions because sometimes people test a trial on a private website and they, they are looking for a different use case. We send them a video. But yeah, it's more about opting out rather than creating a different funnel. You mentioned that you knew you wanted to invest in marketing early. What does that mean? Like, who did you... When did you make an, a hire? Number one, one of the another top question that I see is CEOs wondering what the profile of that first marketing hire should be. So, what was that for you? Actually, I was the first marketing person. <laughs> okay, I guess I guess you're right. So, what did you what did you do? Like, what did you start doing? Okay, so you know there are two main questions that I tried to ask when I started Ruby, and the first one was around the positioning. And the second one was around the, the main channels uh, to focus on. Before you go there, how did you get people into your initial funnel? Like, were you were you well known enough, where you just kind of stood up your website and you had people show up, or did you have to do things to get people in? Yeah, it's funny. It's actually the other way around. So I have a pretty wide network, um, but I knew that I don't want to use this network at all because I think that once you have uh, once your first customers are also people that know you and uh, like your brand. They're not your typical customers. And it was very important for me to really test out the funnel to understand if they're staying or not. So it was very important for me to that the first users are going to be the same as user numbers, the customer number 1,000 and number number 10,000. So, yeah, I, I always avoid uh, bringing uh, people from my network as, uh, as the first uh, users. Well, yeah, because they're going to be like, Iris, this is uh, this is great. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Iris is great, so it's okay that uh, the performance sure. uh, was good enough. I don't really understand this feature, but I invest more time because I know Iris. So, yeah. So what did you what did you do to get those people, that, the strangers into your funnel? Yeah. So I started with Facebook ads. Actually, uh, I didn't have a lot of background in uh, acquisition. Uh, but I felt that this is probably the right uh, the right channel uh, for Ribi, mainly because I knew that we we're going to be low touch and we we're going to to scale fast. And I actually started with some kind of like a sub product, like a very small product that we built. And we killed it since, but it was around Facebook Analytics, so I knew we we're going to target the same audience. And it was something that we we managed to develop in like two months, and it was very important for me at first just to understand the costs, because I knew that if it's going to cost me like uh, $10 or $30 or $300 to bring uh, a sign-up, then it changes the entire funnel and how it works, and I had this like goal in mind, and uh, 
I want to see if I can reach, it wasn't even this goal, it took like, a, I aimed for like 30% of the goal because I knew that uh, when we're not at scale, uh, things are going to be cheaper. But it was mainly around understanding the channel. And even though that my roots are in content marketing, I felt that it's kind of like a red ocean right now. And it's going to be very hard to scale with content marketing for marketers. So I decided to, to focus on acquisition. Do you still believe that five years later that you can't scale the business through content? Mm, I wouldn't say that I can't, but I would say that um, it's more challenging. I would share that I think that um, creating yet another blog post about five ways to is extremely challenging. Um, we're not in like 2010. Totally. Um, I'll share that right now we are working on more of like content strategy and it's more around like uh, templates of reports and different guides. It's, it's less about yet another blog post because it's really hard to stand out over, to stand out, out over there. Which is interesting because you mentioned 2010 and that was like, if you were like a mixed panel, kiss metrics, yeah. amplitude, like the playbook was write a bunch of posts about how to measure your funnel and you'll get trialers. But everybody has content now. And so it's interesting to hear you having to rethink that. It's not, you can't just, it's also like you're in a crowded, you're in a super, you mentioned Red Ocean, right? You're in a super crowded market. You're, you're not just going to show up and rank for a bunch of those terms on, on day one anyway. Yeah, and I would also share that I think that maybe the number one challenge that I experienced uh, in content marketing lately is uh, not just bringing the traffic, but converting the traffic. Now that uh, most of the automated emails go to promotion and people are uh, swamped with uh, so many emails. So even if they're going to read my content, it will still be very hard to get them to subscribe to the product itself. What are the scalable, repeatable channels that that you want to use to build a business? So right now it's mainly acquisition. So YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Um, for anybody who asks, I think that B2B works amazingly well with uh, these channels. Um, lots of thought of how we're going to combine all of them because uh, we do use like different messages. Uh, so I'll share, for example, for, that it's easier for us to bring people to the website from Facebook. I would say like very interesting ads, lots of uh, controversial ads, and then on YouTube to really explain what the product is. LinkedIn doesn't work very well for us. I think most people think that if you're like B2B, go to advertise on LinkedIn. I would say like my two cents uh, are to focus more on Facebook and, uh, and YouTube. And we work a lot on the funnel and the funnel optimization. So in any given moment, we're uh, improving the, the funnels, the different onboarding steps, the, the communication with the sales team, um, and so on. I was trying to pull up one of your YouTube videos, but people can go and, and they can go to YouTube and try to plug it in. There's a couple like one, one and a half minute ad style explainers that I think are really good. But I want to dig into this because this, this is a great topic. You mentioned it very quickly, but you said Facebook, Instagram, YouTube work really well for B2B. I hear a lot of conversation about, well, no, that's not going to work for B2B. Can you talk about what you're 
what's the offer? What's the creative? What are you doing on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram that you think works well, like will work well for B2B? So we discussed before the strategy of content marketing as opposed to acquisition. Something that I really love about acquisition is that uh, you can learn really fast. So when I started this uh, strategy, I think we probably created like 40 different uh, ads. Um, I worked with lots of freelancers on Upwork, so it was kind of cheap. And we really tried out like different angles, how to highlight different uh, uh, features, different value for Ruby, um, until we found uh, a few winners. Was there a segment of people that you were trying to target? Uh, we tried to target different segments like um, e-commerce and agencies, but the main segment um, is just like marketing managers, uh, SaaS companies. Um, yeah, so it wasn't a specific vertical. In order to do that on YouTube, showing pre-roll ads on Saster content or something like that? I would just start with Facebook. Our product and marketing teams um, are pretty much like the same team. So we have different people for different roles, but they really work uh, together. And some of the onboarding parts and questions are uh, actually built for us to create better lookalikes. So even before the sign-up, we ask people what is our segment. And then we can create lookalikes of... uh, users with uh, higher traffic and more advanced users, and we can create lookalikes based on it. So there is a very strong um, symbiotic between the the marketing and product and uh, how to create uh, good audiences. Uh, Now we have lots of traffic, so it's easier, but when we just started, uh, we gave it lots of thought of how to create uh, the right seeds for the good lookalikes, even uh, with uh, low budgets. One video people should go watch is go to YouTube and type in Oribi, O-R-I-B-I, analytics, get more conversions for your clients. This this video has 300,000 views. So this is probably one that was one of your main, or it continues to be one of your main ad videos. But it's like, it's well done. It's two people having a conversation. Did you do this creative in-house or you have a you have somebody on the outside that did this? And we do all the creatives in-house. I haven't tried working with someone uh, about on the creative that is not part of a real for a long while, but every time I tried uh, a while ago, we spent days on explaining to them what uh, what we do at Ruby, and then they came up with uh, a pretty mainstream uh, script. So, yeah, we do it in-house. We do work with lots of freelancers on adding the animations, editing, and, and so on. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to share that uh, while on Facebook we have more interesting ads and every time we, we go crazy, usually it works, at least for uh, for a while. But on YouTube, every time we try to do something that uh, is not with a person that explains about the product and uh, showing the main features, it didn't perform well. It's a good lesson that creative on one channel is not creative on another channel. This episode of B2B Marketing Leaders is brought to you by DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company. 
Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, campaign ideas, and more. I see people ask questions about hiring, team structure, ad targeting, copy feedback. It's incredible, and it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing stuff too. I feel like it's a group of people I want to be around to get better as a B2B marketer too. And because you're here listening to B2B marketing leaders, you can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. And then after that, it's 10 bucks a month. And it's super easy to expense. You could even do an annual. It's like 100 bucks a year. It makes it really easy to send to your CFO. Flies under the radar. It's 100 bucks. It's really easy. But there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day. And you can go in there daily. And you can even go and see all the content from last year. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you will go in there and you'll be like, huh, I get what Dave was talking about. I know you'll see the ROI from the community alone instantly and even more so now that you can get in there for your first month for just a dollar. So there's a special link in the show notes of this show where you can go and sign up for a dollar. Go and check that out. Let's go back to you as the first marketer. When did you decide or how did you decide to scale the team and and how did you figure out who to hire and what to do next based on what you had done? So when I I understood that they managed to... I wouldn't say like crack this channel because of course they're doing something in low scale uh, doesn't reflect what is going to happen later. But, but I understood that uh, there is a huge potential around Facebook. Um, I hired um, our first acquisition manager and uh, the second um, employee of the marketing team was a very talented uh, generalist. And she was in charge of product marketing and email marketing and helping me with all like different projects. And uh, I do find out that with marketing, um, there are always things that uh, that uh, some kind of like leftovers were super important, and you need someone uh, talented to take care of it. How big is the team now? Today we're five people. Can you share a breakdown of the roles of the five people, if you know them? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, Inar is our uh, VP marketing. Um, he's coming with lots of background in acquisition, and uh, he's also hands-on for the acquisition. Um, we have a product marketing manager. Um, we have a creative manager. I think this is like a great addition to the team, and he's in charge only on creating the videos. Um, I feel that uh, every winner uh, for Facebook or YouTube has a huge impact on uh, on the conversion rate. Um, so we're trying to produce probably 10 new videos every month. So he's in charge of it. And we have a marketing analyst. By the way, I brought a marketing analyst when the team was like three people. Um, I think it's super important. Um, and every time we try to like really dig in and connect all the dots, and uh, so to really understand uh, risk marketing. What, what is the? Uh, the I, the, I think it's great. A lot of people have been mentioning that lately, is like bringing in the analyst early, and I totally agree with that. Now, do they also do marketing ops, or is it just analysis? Many analysis, some marketing ops, but I would say probably eighty percent of the work is uh, analysis and. Um, just trying to really analyze every trend we see, uh, different groups of ads, uh, quality of the users. Uh. I think it might have been Chris Walker the other day on on LinkedIn said something about like one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of you know high growth SaaS companies make is 
there's nobody really day to day thinking about the segmenting and the strategy and the you know because and and I, and I felt this right. You you have a team of amazing people, but everybody's just doers. And so like yeah. you're doing events, you're doing Facebook, you're doing this, you're doing that. Who's really sitting back and and looking at the the data day to day? I love the idea of a marketing analyst. Any any tips on how to on how you'd look for hiring that person? Like, is it an existing marketing analyst today? How would you go and find that person? Well, actually, we have uh, we have a marketing analyst and a product analyst, and both of them with more or less the same profile. Pretty junior, but very smart, very well organized. And I think over here, it's less about the experience and more about... Uh, Brilliant people who ask the right questions that are very data driven and that love Excel and love hard questions. You think it's a skill set that can be trained and taught? Yeah, definitely. Okay, you have a VP of marketing. He reports directly to you? Yeah. What do you expect from him? On one hand, I expect him to, well, we have this plan and we know a number of qualified leads that we. Um, that we should bring every month. Uh, but what I really expect from him, and um, that's probably the same for other VPs, is to also really connect all the dots. So something that I really like about him is that uh, um, he works very closely with sales. So he listens to sales calls and uh, really understands the funnel. I think that um, in most companies, you have a different funnel for product and uh, and marketing and sales. And I think that's, that's where like most of the trouble start because everybody blames each other. At Ruby, it's a very unified uh, funnel. Um, I think we all know that everything impacts other things. And let's say, for example, that we'll start using a different messaging on Facebook and we'll see that as a... Uh, cost per lead is uh, down by 30% and all's good. But then we'll understand from the sales team that people are expecting something different uh, than what they see. I think it's very much like the KPIs of the marketing, but also to be involved and to push the KPIs of other teams and to understand the the impact of uh, each activity. One thing that I'd say often that seems to get a reaction out of people is that Life is too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing. Yeah, definitely. Why? I think that life is too short to work for a CEO that doesn't uh, get marketing or product or sales or. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess or anything. Yeah, I, I think it's all the same. So I but, think that. Uh, but like, I mean, I mean specifically, like with you and this and and your VP of marketing, for example, I think like so much of his success is driven by how aligned you two are, because I think if you can deliver on what the CEO has a vision for in marketing is where you can be super successful. But like you as a former marketer, how do you stay in sync together versus like you want to do it your way because you're, you're Iris, former marketer, right? He wants to do it his way. Like how do you stay in alignment on stuff? No, I think with marketing, it's much easier than a product, for example, because you can experiment in low budget and to prove me if uh, it's working or doesn't work. And you know, it's very important with uh, when CMOs communicate with CEOs, it's less about uh, what do they want to achieve or the strategy and more about how they're going to understand if it's working or doesn't. Because let's say, for example, that um, I'm a CMO and I'm coming to my uh, 
say, oh, I'm telling you, okay, I want to rebrand the website and it's going to take six months, but we have to because uh, the website uh, looks awful. And uh, the CEO thinks uh, that it's not going to work and we don't need it and six months is too long. As opposed to this is a project that is going to cost us uh, 50,000K and I assume that it's going to help to increase the conversion by 2% and we can start by testing only the homepage and then we'll know if it's going the right way or not. So I think that uh, most of the challenges are more about the communication. Yeah. Mm, I, I really feel that um, with marketing, the, the audience uh, are voting. It's not about uh, brainstorming what is the right messaging and so on. It's, it's mainly about choosing the right test and uh, knowing how to create tests that are easy to digest. I love that. I love that. The audience is voting. Yeah. Which is like we could argue, we could have opinions on whether my way of writing it or your way is writing of writing it is better, but you're saying like let's let the data decide. Like don't go test it. Yeah, yeah. I'll also share, for example, that like a few years ago, um, every time we decided to create a new video, we used to brainstorm for hours and uh, and debate. And right now we're starting with uh, pretty simple videos and more conceptual videos and not in a very high quality. We see if they work to a certain extent or not at all, and then we and then we decide if we want to produce a, a better version of it. Um, so I think that all each idea, unless something that is very close to something that we tested before and didn't work out, is eligible and should be tested. It says a lot that you can. I think you also have to have that mindset. It helps when the CEO has that mindset, which is more like instead of you saying I'm right, you're saying sure, Dave. That sounds like a good idea. Why don't you go test it? Come back with data, and then I'll give you an opinion on whether I think it's good or not. Why do you think a lot of marketing leaders and CEOs can't get on the the same page? Why Why do you think that's such a big point of friction? You know, the, the average marketing leader tenure is like a you know a, a little bit over a year. Where do you think that ultimately stems from? I think it's. Um they're not aligned with measuring the same thing. So I think that CEOs are, uh, they need to increase sales. And when you have a marketing, uh, you have a new CMO and uh, he or she starts with, let's change the logo and let's change the website. And it's going to take a few months. Uh, and you know that you need to grow your uh, your company by uh, 3x this year. Um, so I think it's more about being measurable. There are things that are important, like brands that are not measurable, but I think that they should go hand to hand with uh, um, with things that are measurable. I think this is like the main reason. I think it's obvious based on what the stuff you laid out before is like. You mentioned are we generating the right leads or, or whatever you call it is is how you're measuring your VP of marketing. But before that is a conversation that you, oh, you mentioned the plan. Sorry. It was like, hey, we have this plan. Are we delivering on the monthly plan? Well, even before that is, are you and me aligned on that plan? Did we create that plan together? Because I think that's where it comes from, right? It's like the CEO, yeah, marketing is responsible for contributing 70% of pipeline this year. And that's how we're going to measure them. Great. Okay, great. Now I can go and operate within that. But it's like when we haven't agreed on how you're going to measure me or how you're going to measure marketing, that's where it starts to go crazy because it's not that I'm not busy. I'm doing lots of things. I'm doing lots of stuff, but it's not the goal that we set together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
do you do any any goal setting types of systems or processes as as a company as a team? Um, we have forecast for uh, for the rest of the year. We we build it together, as you mentioned. So it was very important for me for all the VPs to commit to the plan and to agree on. And, and actually, each VP was in charge of uh, his part or her part. Um, we do have some KPIs, but I would say it's more for me to decide that we're aligned and we see the same goals. And it's less about measuring it uh, every month or so. Cool. Okay, Iris, this was this was great. Good to dive into like how to think about the CEO marketing relationship and to hear to hear your story about being the first marketer. Now you're back as CEO. So appreciate you coming on. Any last parting words before we wrap up? I can also share that something that really changed for me with the marketing perspective from CMO and to CEO is more on the focus. So I feel that right now everything is around identifying the main channels. And every time someone uh, has an idea of let's create this cool report, let's write this post, I'm always against because I feel that uh, it's not enough to measure it or to understand anything. And we're going to waste like uh, a week or so creating this uh, cool template and some people might like it, but we, we can't really understand mm. impact. So right now I'm, I'm very focused on really choosing our battles. And I really feel that um, once we know what our main channels are, we can uh, optimize the funnel and we can do a lot, lot around it. And uh, so I'm always like the party pooper and I kill all the, <laughs> all the cool ideas. No, but but I think, I think that's important. Like I've made this mistake with small teams, which is like you have five people on your marketing team, right? Very quickly, you could run into a situation where like everybody's busy doing stuff, but you're not moving the needle. Do you even have a blog? Are you saying like just do things that are going to generate new trials for us? We don't have a blog. We used to have one, but uh, I felt that it's like lame and we don't update it enough and that uh, it doesn't help the brand. Even just when people enter the website and go to the blog. Do you think there's a future down the road? Like, is it that you're just not focusing on it now? Like, is there a future down the road where you have a a bigger team, revenues cranking, like you you add it back and it becomes a brand channel that you don't really care so much about measuring or or is it just, it doesn't Mm -hmm. fit? Yeah, but I would say that uh, if I had a content team right now, I would focus more on producing uh, evergreen content and guides and templates and so on rather than blog posts. So yeah, we don't have a, we don't have a blog and, um, there are lots of cool ideas and initiatives and uh, things that are related to, to news and uh, and so on. But I feel that um, they usually don't move the needle and uh, it doesn't really help us to get another like uh, 20 signups from this initiative or uh, 50 signups from uh, another one. So I'm really trying to focus everyone on uh, on the main, uh, the main battles and the main channels. I like it. And I mean, that's, that's it. I think it takes you seeing that from the CEO perspective. I would love that type of alignment from a CEO where it's just like, okay, great. I don't really care what we do or don't. The more decisions you can remove, the better. Like you can, you've, as long as you have guardrails, it's like, we don't care about the blog right now. We're not going to focus on it. Great. So, I'm gonna, so, so, what does that mean we're going to spend all our time on? Well, creative, video, advertising. Okay, that's the mix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. This is great. Uh, Iris, I'll talk to you later. This episode will be out in uh, probably a week or two. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. And uh, we'll see you soon. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. If you got something out of this episode, then I know you'll get even more out of DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members in there right now, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company as a marketer. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, on vendors. You can get campaign ideas. I've seen people post, hey, what do you think of this ad? Do you think this copy would work? Is anybody using this new tool? What do you think of this vendor? Uh, And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing my own stuff too, because it's just a community I want to be a part of. And because you're here listening to B2B Marketing Leaders, I got a special deal for you. You can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. After that, it's $10 a month. And let's be honest, it's super easy to expense at your company. It'll fly under the radar. Uh, There's 10 to 12 new posts every single day, and you can go back and see all the posts since the beginning of time. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you'll see the ROI from the community instantly, and that's why I want you to join for a dollar. I want to make it a no-brainer. So go and check it out. There's a link in in the show notes of this episode, a special link just for you to go and join for $1.